Everybody, I hope we're all having a wonderful. Well, today's Thursday for me. Um, it's a little bit later than usual. I'm on my like third cup of coffee at this point, and uh, I'm about a bagel deep. So <clears throat> I'm just trying to enjoy this morning. Though we just got our first real snow um, up here in New Hampshire, and honestly, it's not that bad. Normally, back in Minnesota, we get you know, a foot of snow by November 15th, and we barely just had two inches, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> Gives us the perfect reason to cozy up, drink some coffee, and uh, talk about some murder. So let's just get into it, huh? All right. So many of you probably know the story I'm about to tell you, or at least a similar version of the story. It's no mystery to us. Those who are compelled or drawn to true crime, that serial killers come in all sizes and shapes. Um, disfigured shapes, that may be, but they're all different. But maybe the most scary of all, or at least to me, are those killers that can bend and reshape themselves to appear as normal people, law-abiding citizens. You know, that gentleman across the street who politely waves each day. Or Greg, the only co-worker in the office that can remember your birthday. You know, to us, these are simply people passing by, just another person. But behind closed doors, these quote-unquote normal people are in reality monsters who enjoy causing harm and suffering. It's truly scary to think about. Oh, I almost just fell off the table. Leaning hard. Just as Ashley Flowers of Crime Junkie and my two favorite ladies over at My Favorite Murder always say, you never truly know someone. And I'll be the first to admit it, um, that's not a very happy realization to come to. But it's true, and the following story is proof of that. Like I stated before, you've probably heard these stories. Take Ed Kemper, for example, making friends with officers since he couldn't become one himself. Or Rodney Alcala, Alcala, I don't know, uh, who was literally on national television before his arrest, but after killing multiple women. These people are hiding in plain sight. Um, but the one I'm going to talk about, having happened so recently, unlike the others, continues to confound people, you, me, journalists, law enforcement, etc., as to why it can keep happening. How in today's day and age does someone, especially in a place of authority, one, get there in the first place without you know, popping up with red flags everywhere, and two, how can they hold this position of authority as they continue to terrorize others? It's the question that nobody seems to be able to answer. So this morning, with all that being said, I will be telling you about former U.S. Border Patrol agent Juan David Ortiz. All right, so this is actually like quite a recent story. Um taken place in 2018 and the years surrounding that um, which is honestly a little surprising and I probably won't talk about many cases that are you know that recently occurring so I got almost my 
all of my information from um, a Skip Hollinsworth article titled The Hunt for the Serial Killer of Laredo. For those of you who listen to My Favorite Murder weekly uh, for years, like me, you know very well who Skip is. Um, and I mean, a lot of other podcasts reference him, but that's that's where I gained my first interest in um, Skip. So shout out to Karen and Georgia from MFM for introducing me. His articles are insane, and there's so many of them. Um, Texas Monthly and Skip Hollinsworth, we're not on a first-name basis, so Mr. Hollinsworth, here's to you. And I have other sources, of course, but I'll just include those in the notes. So Laredo, Texas, where this story takes place. It's the third largest border city to Mexico, right behind El Paso and San Diego. Despite what many people think, Laredo happens to be quite the safe area. According to several um, rankings, Laredo sits among the top 20 safest cities in the U.S. I know that rankings can be a little bit biased or speculative, but I only mention this to continue to drive home the idea that no matter where, when, or who, bad people are everywhere. So, besides the warm weather and inviting outdoors, Laredo offers a beautiful blend of people, cultures, food, and history. Um, to many, Laredo is considered the beginning of the Lone Star State, which I had never heard of before. But Hollinsworth goes into much greater detail about the city itself and the people who live there, if you're interested in reading that article as well. So, here we are. Um... Maybe this isn't your preferred storytelling method, but I'm going to start near the end of today's tale uh, with another woman badass, Erica Pena. So Erica, um, she happened to be one of Laredo's sex workers. Um, and on September 14th, 2018, she started her night along the San Bernardo block, um, which was known for sex work at that time, as she would any other day. And as Juan pulled up in his picked up, oh, excuse me. As Juan pulled up in his pickup next to her, pulled, uh, rolled down the window, she got in as she normally would. However, Juan David Ortiz was not a normal man, and this would be no normal encounter. Alright, so Juan pulled up to Erica in his pickup, and Erica, as any other day, got inside. But she was on high alert. See... There were previous sex workers who had gone missing or had been murdered, which we'll get into um, previous to this. So Erica was, like I said, she was on high alert, but everything seemed to be going okay until they got uh, back to Juan's house. And that's when Erica, curious as she was, just asked Juan if he had seen anything or knew anything about the girls and their <clears throat> and the crimes against them. Just kind of like making conversation almost, right? not suspecting him or trying to uh, say that he was guilty of hurting these girls. But anyways, this, uh, it seemed to flip a switch in him, right? Erica said that after she asked him this, he began to act weird. Um, he stopped smiling and he began to make her feel really uncomfortable. Now, as you can imagine, Erica was feeling a little bit uncomfortable, uncomfortable herself at this point. Um, she didn't feel well. She asked to leave. They end up getting back in the truck, right? Erica was planning on leaving, but who really knows what Juan had planned for her? So along the way, he had stopped at a gas station for some food, uh, maybe some gas, presumably. And once back at the truck, 
Erica once again asked him if he knew anything related to the other murders or the disappeared girls, the missing girls. And without an answer, Juan reached into his side door, pulled out a 40 caliber caliber pistol, and aimed it directly at Erica's head. Without flinching, this wonderful woman, Erica, she jumped out of the truck as David unsuccessfully reached for her. And as fate would have it, another officer of the law, um, a DPS agent, happened to be at the same gas station. Erica sprinted to him screaming as Juan, um, he just peeled off in another, another direction. He was gone. Look at he split. So this encounter with Erica Pena, it would eventually prove to be um, Ortiz's downfall. Um, honestly, I just had to pause and look this up because I didn't write it down and I couldn't remember what it stood for, but a DPS, um, it's just Department of Public Safety, so I'm not sure, you know, um, like, could have just been a guy in a truck, kind of like a fucking, uh, what are they called, park ranger? I don't know, I love park rangers. Whatever it was, she felt safe and he was able to take her back to the police station. All right, now I'd like to take you back to the beginning of the story, finally. So on September 3rd, 2018, not even two weeks prior to Erica's incident that I just talked about, the Webb County Sheriff Department received a call about a woman lying on the side of a dirt road just over 20 miles north of Laredo, Texas. She was later identified as Melissa Ramirez, another 29-year-old sex worker. It was reported that she'd been shot three times in the head and once in the wrist. Skip has a quote in his article, and it said, this was not just a murder, it was an execution. Which I think really sums up to um, how he's treating these women, you know, in their final moments. So Melissa allegedly was Ortiz's first victim, but she was much more than just uh, a victim, you know. You see, she was a mother of two young children, children, um, seven and three, And at the time, Melissa and both of her children had lived with her mother, Maria. Unfortunately, due to tough childhood, um, including a sexual assault by her uncle's friend, Melissa struggled with drug addiction. Um, And although a loving and doting mother, she would occasionally leave her children with their grandma and spend a few days along what they call the quote-unquote prostitute blocks of downtown Laredo, San San Bernardo, um, as we now would like to refer to them as because prostitute blocks is not a very friendly name so we'll just we'll just avoid that for the rest of today um unbeknownst to melissa this area would become juan's hunting grounds and oh god did he hunt so after her death detectives had asked her mother if she knew of absolutely anyone that would want to hurt her or if she knew any details you know of the men that melissa would go to see in the area while she was gone for the weekend All Maria was able to tell detectives was that she would come home a little bruised up every once in a while, but other than that, Melissa chose not to talk much about that aspect of her life. In the days following, um, investigators get a couple leads. They they end up learning three names of men who had allegedly known to associate with Melissa, but soon they'd reached out to the South South Texas Border Intelligence Center for help. This was run by the U.S. Border Patrol, so they essentially coordinate at every level of law enforcement in regards to border security. 
So the investigators asked this agency to look over the cameras and run license plate numbers from the vicinity where Melissa was murdered to try to get any hits um, to see if the, the three men had been in the area or anyone else suspicious had been in the area. So the agency agreed, um, and they wanted to help, so they set up a task force. And would you guess who they put in charge of this? One Juan David Ortiz, a 35-year-old intelligence officer of the U.S. Border Patrol. Um, all right, so he and his team were soon caught up on the murder investigation, and they quickly got to work. Although they didn't find any connection to the original three suspects, they did run a plate in the area belonging to a police officer um, at the time. He was later interviewed and cleared. Apparently he was looking at some land out there, um, but he passed. So now they're back to square zero. Square zero? Square one? Mm. <laughs> Does it matter? Now, this was bad for the investigators, obviously, and the Border Patrol. And the border patrol. Um, but it was wonderful for Mr. Juan Ortiz, right? So here we are. He's hiding in plain sight. And not only that, but he... He's essentially creating his own fate at this time. He's he's in charge of the operation that's trying to catch him. That's, you know, that's one step ahead if I've ever seen it. So a few days later, um, without any new leads or suspects, on September 13th, another woman's body was found on another dirt road. Dressed in blue jeans and a pink sweater, 42-year-old Claudine Loera had been shot once in the head. Next to her body, a 40 caliber bullet casing. I'm not sure. I might have forgotten to mention it before, but the bullet casings of Melissa's murder were, were also found next to her body, and they were also 40 caliber bullets. Just as the 40 caliber gun was pulled out in Erica's face, we seem to have a trend here. So... Claudine had been found only two miles from where Melissa's location was. And according to Skip's article, the police tried um, to keep Claudine's murder hush-hush, telling the media only that she had suffered quote-unquote head trauma. I assume it was to not give the public any indication um, of a serial killer running loose, right? To avoid widespread panic. But obviously once reporters got wind of the proximity of both incidents... The two deaths were soon connected, um, and that news spread like wildfire. There was a, ser a serial killer running free, and he was using Laredo, specifically San Bernardo, as his hunting grounds to target his victims. All right, uh, before I move along, I just want to tell you a little bit more about Claudine Loera. First off, whatever their reasoning, I'm not sure it was fair to play off her murder, um, her murder as simple head trauma, that head trauma, quote unquote, was a bullet to her skull. Can you imagine how her family or her friends may have felt? First of all, receiving the first report and being absolutely rocked um, from the news of, of losing her. And then to later find out it wasn't an accidental head trauma injury. She was actually killed. Like, that's so frustrating to me. I can't even imagine how they would have felt. But anyways, Loera, like Melissa, she was a sex worker in the San Bernardo area of Laredo. 
She lived in Laredo her whole life, uh, growing up only mere blocks from the strip itself. Unfortunately, <clears throat> unfortunately, though, her life had been overcome with heroin addiction, um, and it led to sex work eventually. But soon after Melissa's murder, Claudine tried to change, um, citing she was scared and wanted to leave her life as a, quote, prostitute. So she reached out to her daughter and actually went to stay with her for, for a few days, um, right? But soon the addiction overwhelmed her, and within days she was back in San Bernardo, and soon she fell victim to Juan David Ortiz. So once again, investigators were combing the streets, searching for any new clues, and once again, any of the new names they turned up eventually fell dead. Leads dried up. There was nothing to go on. Oh, gosh. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I did not type this one up, and I am struggling to read my own handwriting. But anyways, Ortiz was able to go home that day without anyone the wiser, murdering at will, and leading his own case. His own murder case. So just over one day later, on September 14th, we catch up to where I began our story. On this evening, he had decided to pick up Erica Pena, who, as we know, is our very own precious hero and survivor who eventually lead to helped lead to Juan's arrest. Unfortunately, after Erica escaped, Juan didn't run or even change course. Instead, he ramped things up to an entirely new, disturbing level. Um, to be specific, when Erica laid out her story for police after she ran from the truck, um, she was able to tell them an exact address, having actually been at the house herself. And this address belonged to Juan David Ortiz, and from here, the hunt was on. So, after speeding away from the gas station, page flip, he went straight home to load up on ammo and weapons, and then proceeded ahead for San Bernardo, clearly with a terrible vendetta on his mind. Immediately, he picked up 35-year-old sex worker Giselda Hernandez drove her 20 miles up the road where he told her to get out of the truck and immediately shot her twice in the neck. You see, Ortiz had no real motive here other than to simply kill. He's a cold and evil, and he was targeting sex workers as if they were pests that he needed to exterminate. And he wasn't done yet either. Um, right away after this horrendous act, he headed straight back to San Bernardo with the intention of killing yet another poor woman. Um, it horrifies me to think after that killing someone, he was able to remain so calm and so collected enough to go pick up another sex worker immediately and, and to, just to do it so naturally. Like, was his heart rate not at 300 at this point? In fact, 28-year-old Janelle, his last victim, hopped into his truck casually after Juan asked him if, or asked her if she would, quote, like to be his date for the night just casual so casual like that's so scary how a murderer can just sit there and ask you on a date but he really wants to kill you okay wild killing one person and immediately asking another to be your date the sheer evil it takes to know that you'll be caught eventually at this point he knew he was going to be caught but then to try and to take as many of these women's lives with you that's just unmatched. It's absolutely unhinged. 
So Janelle, again, she was driven to a secluded but often traveled area around 15 miles away this time, um, where again he proceeded to shoot her, yes, in the back of the head. I don't mean to rush through these last two murders of Giselda and Janelle. Um, they were loved just as much, um, and their murders are just as important. But now these killings are happening at such a higher rate, it's crazy. And I just, I don't want to keep you here all day, so. Anyways, in only two hours, he had killed two more women um, with no intention of stopping. And once again, he climbed into that dreadful truck and sped off in the direction of San Bernardo. However, during this trip, Juan Ortiz decided to stop at a gas station again. Um, I guess there's a few themes here to this story. Um, here, yet another DPS officer identified Ortiz's truck and confronted him as he tried to leave. Juan ran off to a nearby parking garage and then just bunkered down. Keep in mind, he still had plenty of weapons and ammo at this time, so it was looking like a standoff. At this point, here he took some, I wrote, oh-so-lovely time to write a heartfelt Facebook post. Um <laughs> He wrote, quote, to my wife and kids, I love you. Like, he literally used the letter U instead of typing it out. Like, like he was texting his girlfriend, basically. Like, I love you, winky face. <laughs> um, his family must have felt very worn by this. Um, and then he posted one more just kind of like general iteration of the same thing. Quote, Doc Ortiz checks out farewell like he used his own nickname and then just said peace basically like was he trying to be cool here who would actually read this and think oh wow yeah that's a badass post to me like it's an absolute coward move to go from ruining people's lives and then basically to pretend you did nothing wrong right and post this happy farewell goodbye claiming to be this loving person when in reality you just murdered multiple people. Sorry, I just had a rant there a little bit, but we can move on. It was reported that some friends of his thought after he posted these Facebook messages that he was committing suicide, which, I mean, that would have been plenty jarring as it was, um, but the truth behind those Facebook posts are a lot more dark Um and honestly scary than than what they these people were initially thinking and obviously he did no such thing he did not end up killing himself he's screwed up enough to kill multiple women but then he's uh maybe i shouldn't say this but too scared to kill himself not that i'm saying he should nobody should suicide is is god awful but i I just think it's another thing that points to him believing that his life is somehow worth more than um, these other women. It's just such a twisted view he holds. Eventually, um, Ortiz, he gave himself up to law enforcement and at first said absolutely nothing. Only that he, quote, loved his family. Um, but over the course of eight hours, Ortiz eventually started to open up. And a little bit of a trigger warning here, he spews an absolute load of bullshit that is centered around sex workers, so I just want to put that out there if, if you're sensitive. Which I guess I probably should have done in the beginning. So, 
sorry. He was apparently, so uh, Ortiz was apparently mad that the Laredo police were doing nothing to get rid of the sex workers or prostitutes as he called them. So in response to the police doing nothing about sex work, which, I mean, I think that's totally fine to do nothing about it, leave them alone. Um, But he thought he would take this duty upon himself, right? He aimed to, quote, eradicate all the prostitutes. How messed up can this guy be? Why is he suddenly able to be judge, jury, and executioner all at once? Like, what gave him this right? What pushed him to do this? Another thing he said about them, which is just gross. He he claimed that uh, sex workers were, quote, scum of the earth. Um, sorry, sir. No, I believe you are the scum of the earth, not these women. Try again. But for real, how messed up can this guy be? Why does he get to suddenly be judge, jury, and executioner on the flip of a switch, you know? So while Juan remained locked up before trial, the news of his arrest spread like crazy fast. It became national news. And while in some cases uh, law enforcement are praised for bringing in a killer, the exact opposite kind of happened here. Almost immediately, the Border Patrol came under heavy fire. They were already in deep water for previously um, taking in underqualified applicants. Ah! pages and now a serial killer amidst them as state officials uh they they pressed for better recruitment and safer hiring policies but ortiz himself while this was all happening he blamed the va the va as we know of veterans affairs um and he had claimed that excuse me the drugs they the drugs that they had given him quote messed him up even if that were true that's no excuse for going on a a killing rampage right so now both the va and the border patrol are under the microscope of the media and neither of them are commenting publicly on this case everyone was frustrated with somebody else but what surprised people most especially those closest to juan was the fact that he turned into this monster it seemed overnight so ortiz had spent some time in the military as a medical tech um his fellow marines said you could quote trust him and even after he turned home from deployment um he wanted to continue to help people allegedly he joined the border patrol to try and quote do some good his friend eric said he didn't just want to stop the bad guys he wanted to use his medical skills to help migrants Um, Eric then continued, I know this might be hard to understand right now, but Juan really cared about people, end quote. As sweet as this sounds, unfortunately, Ortiz himself became one of those bad guys. And and he ended up helping nobody, truly nobody. So as it stands right now, uh, Juan is still awaiting trial. um, But it actually, it starts... It starts pretty shortly here. So the day is, today's date is November 17th, 2022. Um, And actually, I didn't realize this until I got to the end of my research, but the trial is actually on November 28th. So less than two weeks away. Um, So that's kind of exciting. Pretty sure he's going to be found guilty, but 
to the extent of of what and and what his sentence will end up being is interesting. We'll have to look out for that. Um, but a, a little bit more additional information about that. So the death penalty is actually off the table for this case. Um, and if he's found guilty, he would face life without parole. So no death penalty, but no chance of ever getting out of jail. So thank God for that. Um, and avoiding any more talk of this evil man, let's focus on something bright. Just to switch it up a little bit, huh? And on a and on a high note, shall we? So Ortiz may have not not cared about these women, um, obviously, but many many people did. In the following days, there was an absolute outpouring of support. More than 150 people, friends, family, community members, and more. They held a vigil in downtown Laredo for the um, the four women, which is I think that's just that's so kind um and it it really proves that ortiz was the only the only one here um in this story that was truly evil this community came together in the end and and really shined some light on uh, on the darkness here and i'm i'm glad that was able to to come of it anyways um Erica Pena, the the only survivor of Ortiz, she clearly suffered plenty of trauma herself. Um, she claimed, or didn't claim, she noted that there was uh, constant nightmares of being chased by Ortiz in his dirty pickup truck. Um, but honestly, I'm just, I'm happy she's alive, and I really hope she's doing better now a few years later. So, before I go, um, I just want to end with, uh, this might be uh what's it called uh where you take someone else's work plagiarism but i just want to end with the full quote from skip hollandsworth article i think it just kind of really sums everything up and it's it's a little bit sad but i think it's important one of uh juan ortiz's friends um at the end of it all after his arrest and everything he went back to his house and he sat down, quote, thinking, trying to connect the dots. How, he asked himself over and over, could such a con- could such a conscientious father and husband turn into a depraved monster? How could someone who spent his career helping others have gone on a killing rampage? But he finally gave up and went back to work. Quote, I'm not sure, he said, that there are any dots to connect. It, it's just, it's wild. Like, like I started the podcast with, you never truly know somebody. I obviously didn't come up with that, but it's, it's scary. Yeah. A, a loving husband, a loving father, somebody who dedicated his life to service suddenly starts taking the lives of people around him. One hell of a journey. Um, and just, just ended on the wrong side of things, right? But that was a rough one, right? That was that was a little tough one to start today. But I think it's important. Um and it happened recently. Um it just it highlights that these things are they're still here. Um serial killers aren't our thing of the seventies or the eighties. They they're still hunting. They're around us. They're lurking in the shadows. So be careful out there, people. Love you. Bye.